the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, here we go. Welcome to episode 101 of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. The Raptors had an extremely awesome week. And we're going to cover it all. Joining me today is Lior Kozai of Death Pen. Lior, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm glad you can uh, pop on the show because last night, while watching this game, we're recording this on Saturday around noontime. Last night, while watching the game against the Blazers, I had one question, and I couldn't have think, thought of anyone better to ask than you. Does CJ McCollum wear CJ's PJs? <laughs> oh. Maybe uh, post Danny Green wearing them <laughs> when uh, when CJ got hot <laughs> and CJ was home. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, never did CJ Miles say these are only for me. Even though I had the Raptors logo on there or whatnot, the jersey and the number zero, I think it's it's better if he expands it to all CJs and not just isolated to himself. Don't you think? Share the love. Yeah. And you know what? It even, like, moves the curse over to CJ McCollum, right? Even though he had a great game. Anything you can do to, like, transfer the curse onto another player and maintain the curse to CJ Miles, I guess, because now he's a Memphis Grizzly, so all bets are off. But I think uh, I think that's a brilliant marketing scheme if we can move these CJ's PJ's to all CJ's in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the Grizzlies better hope for it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of the Portland, like, local guys, the beat writers and all that, they've been saying um, Nurkic has been better than McCollum this season. And, I mean, it's possible, but <laughs> McCollum just can get hot on any night. And, I mean, we saw how he carved up the Raptors. He pretty much was the only offensive threat last night because, I, I don't know, the shooting was just incredible with him. And even though Dame got hot towards the end, uh, you can't, you just can't count out McCollum at all. Yeah, I mean, Lillard was pretty quiet most of the night, and then he just, you know, he's one of the best crunch time players. Everyone knows that. But, like, yeah, he didn't do all that much, and McCollum pretty much single-handedly kept them in the game. And I felt like the Raptors pretty much outplayed them the entire game, and it was really just McCollum hitting some tough shots. It wasn't bad defense. It was more tough shot making for McCollum. Jake Lehman had a couple big shots and that sort of kept them in it. Would you consider this victory over the Trail Blazers the best Raptors victory this year? Um, I honestly might say the one before it was a little better, the Boston game. Okay. Um, but it's right up there. Honestly, like even if the Raptors lose that game, like, I still felt they played really well. And I mean, we're heading towards kind of it's looking like they're probably going to get locked in second. So, I mean, even if they had lost that game, that was a really quality game. Um, just to see how the starters were playing together. Obviously the bench struggled, the Ibaka struggled off the bench, but the starters just gelled so much better. They were moving the ball a lot better. They weren't forcing it. And, Kawhi looked a lot more integrated into the offense. And that, I mean, 
is everything we wanted all season, right? It's true. It's true. And you set it up quite nicely for me. So let me set the landscape and uh, we'll get deep into both of those games real quick. So Raptors are still second in the Eastern Conference, still second overall in the NBA. It looks like that's where they are going to remain for the rest of the season. Of course, anything can happen, but optics are leaning towards that. They're sitting two and a half games behind the Bucks. Uh, with a record of 46-17. and 17. This past Tuesday, as you alluded to, they redeemed themselves from a brutal loss against Orlando by pretty much steamrolling the Celtics, and that victory was just, it was delicious. Um, <laughs> it was at home, so that's uh, definitely what you want to see from the Raptors. They want to defend their home turf, and you want to see them take on a, I'm not sure we can call them a division rival more as a fan rival, so... Depends on how you want to classify this. But look, with just a handful of games remaining in the regular season, we're getting closer and closer to playoff mode. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in regards to what you saw against the Celtics, what you saw against the Trailblazers, the optics are positive, right? We're, we're, we're seeing the team tighten up a little bit more on defense. The, the shooting is certainly coming back, specifically from Kyle Lowry. Jeremy Lin has certainly held his own as a replacement for Fred Van Vliet and is picking up the offense quite quickly. So how confident are you with this team right now and heading into the early stages of the playoffs? Honestly, these last two games have given me more confidence than the whole seven-game win streak that came before that Orlando loss. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that seven game win streak, it was obviously you want to get the wins. You want to keep up your record, but there were some tough games like Washington played them tight. Brooklyn played them tight and hit all those threes. Um, even like the Knicks, they struggled to beat them before the all-star break. So we're talking about like they're getting wins, but it was tough and these weren't the best opponents and they were still kind of struggling. And then you see these two games. I mean, these are against, I know Boston's obviously had a lot of problems, but they're still a quality team. They played Toronto pretty hard. Um, I think DeMar picked them to um, to beat the Raptors on this last did, on yeah. your last podcast episode. Yeah, so, I mean, and that wasn't an unreasonable pick at all. I mean, the Celtics have played the Raptors well, even if they haven't beaten them at home. So gave me a lot more confidence just in seeing the chemistry develop I think Nick Nurse has done a lot better job the last couple of games. I've been very critical of his rotations just in terms of some of the lineups he throws out there and the way he's utilized his bench and the way he's utilized Gasol or underutilized him in their first few games. So I'm seeing a lot from him where he's just putting players in better positions and kind of trying to maximize Gasol. And that's making me a lot more confident because we know these guys have played well in the playoffs before Kawhi Leonard said last night, he said the regular season is just practice for him, yeah. which is pretty good from a guy averaging like 27 and seven 62 shooting percentage. Like this guy, he's playing elite basketball. I mean, he struggled last month, but putting that aside, like last night he was basically amazing. And now if he's going to elevate his game even more, like, that gives me a lot of confidence going into the playoffs. You touched on a topic that I think is interesting, and if you don't mind, I kind of want to expand on this a little bit. Um, we This wasn't anything that I had prepared for you, but since you touched on it, I think uh, we can talk yeah, about it for a little bit. Um, Nick Nurse's rotations. Now, look, mm -hmm. in the beginning of the season, the, the narrative surrounding Nick Nurse and how he was going to utilize 
the the players was it's it's certainly fluid, right? He was going to flip flop players. He was going to start players based on matchups, i.e., Surge and JV at the time. He was going to uh, integrate different players at different times throughout the game. It was sort of a polarity from last year with the bench mob versus versus the starting unit. Mm-hmm. Now that was great. That was cool for like the first couple of months of the season. Now that we're heading past the All Star break, approaching the playoffs, right? How many games do we have left? Like nineteen games left into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think that this whole fluidity that Nurse has utilized—it was cute in the beginning, but it sort, certainly has to stop now. Um, I like the idea of the players being familiar with each other, but you may disagree, but I think there is some sort of value in stability. There's some sort of value in players knowing exactly what their role is and knowing exactly how they're going to be utilized rather than uh, constantly dealing with this guessing game, if there is one at all. I'm speculating on that end. But I think the success of last year's team had a lot to do with the stability, had a lot to do with the familiarity between the players. So I kind of wanted to get your take. Do you think there's value now in having Nurse uh, sort of stick with a certain rotation for certain matchups, or do you think it has to be standard, it has to be familiar, it has to be uh, sort of stagnant from now heading into the playoffs so the team is that much more well-prepared for the playoffs in the first, second, and possibly third round? Um, I get why people want him to switch it up depending on the matchup, just because, I mean, we've seen it like in the playoffs where things don't go right. And then teams are adjusting their starting lineup after not doing it all year. So it's kind of good to not have that sort of panic panicky feel if you do end up adjusting your lineup. But I get, I totally agree with what you're saying that the stability does have value and just, um, I mean, just seeing players are generally pretty comfortable in their roles. And I feel like we saw with Norman Powell, just as an end of the bench guy, he was having his role moved around over and over last year. And I think that kind of hurt his confidence and that kind of gave him some problems. So, I mean, we see with Ibaka struggling off the bench. I think players do need kind of a fixed role and it really does give them um, a lot more confidence and just, they're just more comfortable. They know when they're going to come in the game. Generally, they know what kind of rotation they expect to play and they know what they're being asked of. At the same time, I do want to see if they are going to go with a fixed rotation, which I don't think they are, but if they hypothetically were listening to this podcast and they were <laughs> going to do it, uh, I would want them to start the soul because I think a soul maximizes the potential of the starters. And I think if you get, if you end up with a Philly matchup, you're probably going to start Gasol. If you end up with Boston and and um, Milwaukee, I think it's kind of a coin flip. So I think Gasol is probably the better starter, and you want to get Ibaka comfortable in that bench role now because if you end up having to bring Ibaka off the bench, obviously he hasn't looked good in that role. And getting him comfortable now, getting him those 20 games at least, Maybe he can adjust to that. He's played well with Lynn. They have kind of a little bit of chemistry just in terms of um, the pick and pop game, the pick and roll game. So I think that would actually help them a lot more. And then across the roster, I mean, I don't see 
any other huge adjustments. I mean, there's no one else who really moves in and out of the starting lineup. I think it's more at the center spot. I agree with you. I think that if we're going to adjust anything moving forward, it it may be Gasol and Ibaka because that was what we saw with JV and Ibaka. Nick Nurse Mm -hmm. wasn't uh, hesitant to flip-flop them based on matchups. My position is, you're right, Gasol has looked a lot better with the starting unit. And I think when you acquire a player like Marcus Hall and you trade away a fixture to the organization like JV, just in the intangible sense that he was a valuable asset for the team, um, I think you have to maximize his potential. And when you have him come off the bench, you're not really maximizing that potential. Now, the problem with that is it's to the detriment of Serge Ibaka, who's been playing quite well you know, throughout yeah. the entirety of the year. It's sort of a resurgence. And I was very confident with how they were using Serge Ibaka, even though he was starting more often than not. And when you had JV, who I wasn't pretty con- convinced that he should be in the starting unit, so there was no qualms on my end in the beginning of the season having JV come off the bench more often than not. So yeah. now that that sort of flip-flopped, I don't know if this is going to give Serge more issues heading into the playoffs. My main concern with Serge into the playoffs was fatigue. Now it's, well, is he going to have rhythm? It's, is he going to mm-hmm. be comfortable with the starting unit? Because I think his success had a lot to do with Kyle Lowry on the floor. And I'm not oh, saying yeah. Jeremy Lin is a, is a bad addition. He's not. But the chemistry between Lin and Serge certainly isn't matching or parallel to that of Lowry and Serge. Oh, for sure. I'm just, um, I do think they should be staggering them more. I mean, Nurse has done it a little more lately, um, particularly in the Boston game, but that was obviously with Gasol coming off the bench. But if Ibaka is coming off the bench, I think he should be um, just staggering the starters a lot more in terms of playing Lowry with the second unit, getting him in with um, with most of those guys, and then Ibaka can still benefit off that. He did that a little last night, but... Uh, I think Ibaka just kind of had an off night in general. So, um, I mean, I think as he gets more used to that, if you're playing the dual point guard lineups, Lowry Lynn or even Van Vliet Lynn, I think it will help Serge a little more, even if he's struggling. And I think even if he does drop off, um, as long as it's not like to what he was last night, 0 for 5, 2 points, <laughs> I think it's worth um, the upgrade you're getting a soul. We just see so much ball movement. Obviously, you, talk, you talked about it, just how the starters are playing basically dominantly. I think the Lowry, Kawhi, Gasol trio has been like a plus 19 net rating, which is just absurd. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. I think Gasol should be getting the nod, and I don't mind the staggering. Mm-hmm. It's just I get, I get frustrated with Nurse and how he's utilizing the offense, and especially, and I don't know if you've picked up on this too, I get very frustrated with how Nick Nurse is so uh, slow, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. to call a timeout. Like yeah. there are often times that he goes on these, that the team goes on, the, I'm sorry, the opposition goes on these crazy runs, and Nurse gives them all the leash in the world. But next <laughs> thing you know, it's like a 12-0 run. I mean, we saw it, we saw it last night, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, I, I just don't understand. And there was one instance. I want to say it was like in the third or the fourth quarter, regardless, it was in the second half, that it was a quick like 6 7 8 run, and then he called a timeout. I was like, wow, finally a timeout I can agree with. you know. And that is something that I worry about because you can't give this leash 
to the opposition in the playoffs, especially in the playoffs. I totally agree. Yeah. And like just last night we saw it. I mean, you have these hot shooters. You kind of need to call a timeout to adjust to, to get a different defender on them or just to um, slow them down, kind of get them out of rhythm. And we saw a 16 point lead basically evaporate in no time. And that had a lot to do with CJ McCollum. There you go. So maybe he's, maybe he just <laughs> CJ's PJs last night. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We touched on Lynn. Jeremy Lynn has been outstanding in, in you know his short tenure thus far with the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember listening to you on the Raptors Rapture podcast in which uh, you sort of mentioned it quickly when you and uh, Mike were talking about possible additions to the team. And you sort of, I don't want to say you weren't convinced, but you were just like, hey, if we can get a guy like Jeremy Lin, that'd be great, but that's kind of reaching. Well, here we go. Jeremy Lin is now a <laughs> Toronto Raptor, and I don't know how elated you were. I thought this was the best of the best that the Raptors could have done in the buyout market. And having a guy on this team that has picked up the offense as quickly as he has and is such a disparity between how Fred Van Vliet has operated the offense when he was with the bench unit in comparison to Lynn. It's a sight to be seen. So I just wanted to get your impressions with Jeremy Lin thus far. How valuable do you think he is to the team with the bench unit? And sometimes even with starters, um, when they do sort of mishmash the players on the floor. And mm-hmm. what do you see from him moving forward? Look, Fred Van Vliet is, uh, I want to say, like, they say two, three weeks away. It's probably more like a month away from returning. Yeah. Uh, if I were, was a betting man, which I'm not, Lynn's going to eat into a lot of Fred Van Vliet's minutes. So I kind of wanted to get your take on the overall impression with Fred Van, I mean, sorry, with Jeremy Lynn and what you see his role to be in the playoffs. Yeah, just I was thinking of that um, in terms of the podcast. We didn't really expect the Raptors to have a shot at Lynn. I mean, did you listen to Danny Green's podcast episode with oh, yeah. Lynn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, um, he mentioned like Kyle Lowry, the Raptors were playing the Hawks the night after the trade deadline and Kyle Lowry basically went up to Lynn and he's like, you doing it? And Lynn's <laughs> like, Lynn was lost, right? He didn't know what he was talking about. So Lynn wasn't even planning a buyout. And then um, it all kind of came together with Van Vliet's injury and DeLon Wright being traded. And um, it was kind of the perfect spot for Lynn to step into. Um, just in terms of what you talked about, I could see Lynn taking some of Van Vliet's minutes, but I kind of think they're just totally different players. I almost see Lynn stepping into DeLon Wright's minutes from prior to the trade deadline. Now he might play, they might play a little less Lynn and Van Vliet just because you want to get the staggered starters as we talked about and the rotation kind of um, shortens a little bit, but I do think he's more of in the DeLon Wright role, except he's better. He's a better finisher at the rim. He's right. a better passer, better playmaker. And then Van Vliet, you almost use him like a shooting guard. He's a catch-and-shoot guy. And I think when he's been off the ball, he's been really good this season. He's had some big moments in Memphis. He had a few catch-and-shoot threes for a win. It was early in the season. But um, he had that a few huge threes in the fourth in that big Indiana comeback. So he's had some moments this season. And I know you guys talked about on the last pod that, um, that like he hasn't been as special as last year, which I would agree with, but I still think he's been good. Just um, it's kind of a different role from what you're asking from Lynn. It's more of Danny green's role as a smaller guy. So, um, so I still think there should be room for both of them. Do you feel confident 
having Fred Van Vliet on the offense as the number two with the stature because typically I, I that's you're already starting well not starting you're already putting two small guys on the floor and then in the reason why if you want to make comparisons to DeLon Wright I do agree with you that he'll probably take up a lot of DeLon's minutes mm-hmm. and you know when Fred and DeLon were on the floor Fred was the primary ball handler I see that being switched with Lynn, and I think you were alluding to that as well. The problem is I don't really trust Fred's defense as much as I trust Lon's. So when you have Fred operating as that number two with Jeremy Lynn on the floor, I'm not sure that that is maximizing the potential defensively with the team um, if you instead put Norman Powell in that role, even though he's been sort of up and down this year mm-hmm. and struggling on the offense. Um, he's shown size, signs of life. I'm just not sure that's conducive with a guy like Jeremy Lin. I think Jeremy Lin would operate better with a guy like Norman Powell, um, if not for the offense, just for the defensive end. Uh, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I almost think Lin, I mean, is Lin, um, Lin's about 6'3", no? He's like, he's a little bigger than, um, he's a little bigger than Van Vliet. He's almost the guy. Yeah, like he's 6'3". Um, a little longer. I'd almost have him on the shooting guards. Obviously, it depends on the matchup. Um, right. These would be mostly against bench lineups. You wouldn't want them against starters. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've played Lowry and Van Vliet the last couple of years, and those lineups have been mostly successful. Kind of depends um, if, like, just who has it on that particular night. You don't want to use it too much. But, yeah, I mean, if Lynn's playing better, I mean, you do have that option to go with Lynn and Norman Powell in the backcourt. Powell's up to around 40% from three this year. He's had a couple rough games, but he's been in general pretty solid. And I mean, that's kind of the great part of this team is that it's deep and you have a lot of different options in terms of wings, guards. And I mean, they're a little thin up front, but you can kind of maneuver the rotations to account for that. And I mean, just if you're sliding Powell down to the shooting guard, you also can you also can move um, OG Ananobi to small forward, and I think Ananobi's been more comfortable from there, and that kind of allows you to play either Siakam with the bench or whichever way you want to uh, rotate it. I agree. I agree. I think that it's going to be interesting seeing how they utilize Fred coming back because if it's anything like last year, Right, so last year, uh, last game of the season, I want to say he got hurt against Miami, yeah. and he was slow to come back in the playoffs, and you, you could just tell that they brought him back too soon. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they want to avoid this year. They want to give him as much time as possible. I think people are holding on to that timeline that I, I want to say it was a four or five week timeline of him rejoining the team. Uh, I see it being a little longer. If anything, the Raptors have sort of uh, underplayed the the extent in which uh, they want to rest their players. Uh, let's not forget in the beginning, uh, sorry, going into like December, Nick Nurse mentioned, look, we're going to uh, give Kawhi uh, back-to-backs probably up until, you know, the beginning of January, and then I see him playing back-to-backs. Well, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with it. We'll get into that in a bit. But I think when it comes to Fred Van Vliet, his value is prevalent on the team, at least in terms of understanding the offense and knowing how the team operates. So they're going to want to give him as much time as possible. And look, he has an entire month, right? Mm-hmm. It, or even a month and a half. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Raptors are still, you know, going along with this pace that they're on. If they say 
to Fred, hey, we're going to rest you up until literally the playoffs. That wouldn't surprise me at all. The 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 schedule going forward is sort of uh, downhill, and as we've seen uh, in various articles that the Raptors have one of, if not the easiest schedule moving forward. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, look, take your time, get get right, get your shooting down, get your footing in. Um, I know there's value in getting up to game speed, but I think as late as the injury occurred, I don't think that's going to be a problem with him coming back, especially if we're going to face a seven seed in the playoffs. So it really wouldn't surprise me if he sat up until the, uh, round one of the playoffs. Yeah, it's good to get a few games, but... It's just about your priorities. And I mean, if he's not absolutely a hundred percent, you want him to, you want to um, wait until the playoffs or at least like right near the playoffs because you don't want a re-injury. There's all kinds of risks with that. And um, yeah, if they play Charlotte or even Detroit, I mean, you feel pretty comfortable in that series and then we can get some reps in, get some minutes and he'll get hopefully get his rhythm back. I mean, I'm still kind of bitter that, uh, that he clearly wasn't healthy and then he missed the three that could have won game one against Cleveland. Yes. Like, I don't think I'll ever forget that. One. Or the putbacks by JV that, oh, weren't, yeah. you know, oh, of course <laughs> I mean, it's, sort, it's sort of, sort of a microcosm of what it means to be a Raptors fan, right? Like, Oh uh, yeah. Almost, but no cigar. But, um, look, it would be awesome. You know, side note here, a little side chant tangent. It'd be awesome <laughs> if they, did end up playing Detroit because that whole series would just feel like home games throughout, right? Home games. <laughs> yeah, I might have to come up to Detroit for that one. Right? You know, Raptors fans are well-traveled, so they'll oh, end yeah. up uh, being loud. And we'll see that in Detroit soon, but I think yeah. a, a playoff series might uh, lend to the Raptors' favor. All right, let's move on. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Um, Look, this was a familiar narrative, and it keeps popping up, and people keep bitching about it. But here we go. We're going to talk about it. Load management. All right? Familiar, familiar term. We're past the All-Star break, as we mentioned, and lo and behold, Kawhi Leonard is still resting some games. He played both the Celtics and the Blazers this week, so uh, I think against the Celtics, this was surprising to me. Only 26 minutes against the Celtics, and last night, uh, 34 and a half minutes against Portland. Towards the end of Friday's contest, though, he followed Harkless on a fast break after uh, Harkless stole the ball from a lazy Kyle Lowry pass. And, of course, during that foul, Kawhi came up a little bit lame with his left shoulder, I want to say it was. Mm -hmm. So, again, I'm not a betting man, but I'd throw the odds of Kawhi resting uh, Sunday as pretty high. So where are you with the load management, the scheduled maintenance, whatever you want to call it with Kawhi? Is this bothering you at all? Or look, as Raptors fans, have we realized, bro, regular season, as Kawhi (laughs) said, these are practice games, whatever, all that matters is the playoffs. Let's get them right for the playoffs because we can't, we can't even say, Hey, Kawhi is only resting on back-to-backs because he's kind of not. Like, he's still (laughs) resting on random pockets of games here and there. So where are you with the Kawhi load management, scheduled maintenance, however you want to classify it? Um, Yeah, first, I'd agree with you that um, he's going to – I would guess that he's not going to play tomorrow. Um, Just in terms of Kawhi, obviously, we can't know how he's feeling. He doesn't say much to the media, and – and we can't like know if he's healthy or how sore his knees feel or whatever the case may be. Um, I think I get why people are frustrated with it. It's obviously 
you want to establish this rhythm. We just talked about establishing chemistry and all the integrating the new guys. And if your best player doesn't play, it's obviously hard to do that. But at the same time, I think in general, it's a good thing. Um, the primary reason it seems like the relationship that he had with the Spurs kind of broke down was because he didn't trust them anymore. They had obviously disagreements about his diagnosis with his quad injury last year, and it was kind of an ongoing issue all season. And just the Raptors want to show him that that he should trust them and they're prioritizing his health, number one. Like, if you even watch the press conference coming into Toronto, he they asked him, like, um, what do you want to accomplish the rest of your career? And or like, what's your number one priority? And he didn't say championships. He didn't say like, he didn't say winning MVP. He didn't say anything like that. He said health. So you've got to show him that that's your priority. And I mean, obviously you want him to be healthy regardless, even if he's not on your team, but like that should be your priority. And yeah, we've seen great regular season teams. This team is winning regardless in the regular season. And it's all about the playoffs and you've got to keep him healthy for the playoffs. And I mean, it can get frustrating, but if he's healthy and playing well in the playoffs, then it's all worth it, right? There are a couple of things I want to touch on. Sure. First, Raptors fans need to understand that this isn't unique to the Raptors. <laughs> I remember uh, it was either last year or the year before that there was a Golden State Cleveland game on national TV. And I want to say Golden State opted to rest the starters. And there was a fine issued or whatever. There was some sort of um, reprimand. I'm not sure when it was. Yeah, I mean, Popovich has been doing it for there years. There was one where um, he sent, it was Miami, San Antonio, the two finals teams that year, like 2013 or 14. And he sent all of his starters home <laughs> on national TV. <laughs> he just sent Danny Green, Kawhi, um, Tony Parker to Ducky <laughs> and said, like, have a rest day. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's not, it, first of all, it's not like Kawhi is being sent home. Like he is still mm -hmm. on the bench, but yeah. this isn't unique to the Raptors. And this concept of resting your MVP caliber players or the, or the most important or important players on the team, uh, this isn't new, but I, it's new to the Raptors. That's the thing. And I understand people pay really good money to see the Raptors play. I understand all of that. And the games are much more exciting when you have Kawhi Leonard on the floor. However, longevity is extremely crucial in deep playoff runs. Fatigue, or lack thereof, is extremely crucial for deep playoff runs. Just ask Serge Ibaka last year. Mm -hmm. So when you have the most important player on your team rested, well-rested, for the playoffs, and when he, we probably still haven't seen him flip the switch into playoff mode. Like you alluded to it earlier, he's been playing outstanding. And I don't even know if this is like the cherry on the Sunday into how well he's going to perform in the playoffs, right? So I, I can see why they're doing it. But my next question is, with these teams that we've shown as evidence to resting their players before, this is unique in the way that it's only one player. Are we going to see the Raptors rest the majority of the starting unit here and there moving forward because Pascal hasn't had a break. I'm not saying he need one. He needs one, but he hasn't had one. Kyle Lowry, although scheduled to have breaks here and there, he's come out and say, Nope, I'm going to play. You can't stop me. I'm just going to play. Cause he's that much of a pit bull. <laughs> Do you consider that to be likely 
heading towards the playoffs that other players on this team will end up with quote unquote scheduled maintenance or load management days. Um, so Lowry effectively like sat about a month just because of his injury, but yeah, I mean, Kyle just tries to play through everything. He probably has like lingering, like minor issues that he just kind of brushes off and he, he, you can't really tell Kyle Lowry not to play because right. that's just his nature. But I do think they're going to rest. Um, I'd look for probably Ibaka at least a few times. Um, Lowry, probably a couple times towards the end. I mean, like you mentioned, the schedule is just like, it's just extremely easy. They have a couple OKC games and a Houston game. But aside from that, it's almost entirely teams below 500. And they're basically prepping for likely the second seed. Milwaukee has an easy schedule too, so it's going to be hard to catch them. So if it's not going to affect your standing and you're already, you're going to try to get your, um, your reps in with the new starting five with Gasol with Lynn. But once you kind of get that the last 10 or so games, I mean, I could see them resting the starters multiple times. And I think Danny green as well. Like they kind of, um, they kept his minutes like this week as well. Like, like only 23 mm-hmm. minutes last night, I think. And then, um, also pretty low against Boston, even though that was a blow, I'm still like unusually low. So I think I could see them resting, like especially the veteran guys. Um, Siakam, I don't know. They could give him one or two games at the end, but like, I'd be surprised just because he's just full of energy. Like even on back to backs, you just, you never really see a game where he comes out flat in the way that you might see it from Ibaka if he's been overworked a little. Do you think that this is going to be more of an issue with the NBA moving forward in terms of resting their players? Because when you have fans this vocal in their displeasure of players resting, even though we see the benefit of it, do you think like casual fans that pay pretty decent money to go out to games or to buy merchandise that are upset that their favorite player isn't playing, do you think the NBA is going to put some sort of mandate as to how many games uh, a player is allowed to take off without any sort of substantial injury involved. In other words, like saying scheduled maintenance or load management means uh, we're just trying to save him, right? We're trying to preserve our player. There is no injury concern here. So do you see the NBA sort of putting a cap on that moving forward or maybe when the next CBA arises? I mean, um, the NBA did make like, like this has been happening for, um, like at least half a decade now, probably more. And they've always been, I mean, it used to be just like the last couple of games of the season, like one or two and everyone kind of knew that, but like this has been happening now, like mid season rest kind of since Popovich started it really like a while ago. And that was with old players, like the Duncan Parker, Ginobili, like he was kind of preserving the older guys, but now it's, it's been happening with, um, with kind of other guys for a while. And I like the NBA said, they're going to find people or find teams for arresting their guys, but they really haven't done it. They haven't enforced it. Yeah. Like they said, um, the maximum is um, finding a hundred thousand dollars per game for arresting healthy players. And they just haven't done it. And they've kind of accepted the load management or scheduled maintenance excuse. And I mean, I get, I totally get why fans are upset. Like I, went to a Raptors Knicks game a few years ago and 
Carmelo Anthony sat and Kristaps Porzingis sat. So we were pretty much, <laughs> it was a terrible game. Like the Raptors just slaughtered them. But, but at the same time, I mean, this is why I don't go to regular season games right. anymore. <laughs> just cause, um, yeah, I mean, it's almost a given in the NBA right now. And, um, and if they're not enforcing it when they already made a rule, then I kind of think they're not going to start enforcing it now as unless it gets like significantly worse to the point where it's just, what are we even watching anymore? Which I don't think it will. I think teams will kind of ease up on it. And as long as it's not like a player coming off a major injury. I agree. I, I just think that with fans being so uh, interactive with mm-hmm. the NBA in terms of social media and whatnot, um, vocalizing displeasure and bad PR, I think entities, large entities, uh, pay attention to that. And it just wouldn't surprise me if, you know, now... If the, if the mindset, if I was an owner of a team or the president of operations, rather, if I was Masai Ujiri, right, mm-hmm. and, and it falls on my shoulders of having to pay these fines or telling MLSC that, hey, you have to cough up these fines. In my mind, I'm like, ah, fuck it. It's just money. <laughs> Whatever. Like, you know, like, I'm not losing picks. I'm not, like, breaking any substantial rules here. It's just money. Whatever. We have a boatload of that. Yeah. And I think that's the attitude amongst the the other teams in the NBA, like whatever, it's just money. Because you're not going to be able to uh, compare that to the aspect of the revenue that you're going to generate throughout the playoffs mm-hmm. and maybe even a finals run. So like this gamble, this these fines, this toll that you're going to have to pay, quote-unquote, is going to be worth it if it means having a healthy uh, set of guys heading into the playoffs because you're just going to make that money back tenfold. Uh, but... When it comes to the aspect of possibly resting other players, as we mentioned previously, um, you mentioned maybe Danny Green, maybe Kyle Lowry, if he agrees, mm-hmm. um, Pascal Siakam, maybe one or two. We talked about the importance and the value of guys like Jeremy Lin and Marcus Hall picking up as much reps as possible with this team because they have to become familiar with them yeah. into the playoffs. Do you think that resting guys will be to their detriment and therefore they're slightly ill-prepared heading into the playoffs if they do implement this sort of rest narrative heading into the playoffs? Um, I guess it kind of depends on how this next kind of three, four weeks goes, like the next 10 games or so. I mean, um, obviously you want to see the team develop kind of a chemistry and these last two games were really encouraging. I think if it's still kind of not clicking, then it would be kind of, um, yeah, it would be kind of counterintuitive to rest your guys and kind of take away from your own opportunities to get that chemistry. But I think if it kind of continues on the track, we've seen the last couple of games and we see more chemistry, we see them kind of hit at least closer to their, um, what we think is their potential, then I mean, yeah, it would make sense to rest them. Because you just need to kind of see those flashes, see like the second and third quarter against Boston, where you pretty much played like two of the most complete quarters of the entire season. If you can keep seeing that in like several more games, then at that point, it's um, it's kind of you've already seen what you want to see. And then you can kind of feel more comfortable for the playoffs and you're going to alternate kind of the rest nights. It's just you're not going to have your full team, right? So, um, yeah, I think 
I think you'd prefer to get more reps, but at the same time, you're going to prioritize the health. And as long as you can get a good amount, then you're going to be satisfied with that. And this is also based on the assumption that, you know, when people vocalize their displeasure or we worry about things like team chemistry or, you know, lack of cohesion with the team due to rest. And I don't even know if that's a narrative. I sort of just made that up right now. So, um, (laughs) no, I think, I think there are definitely people who believe that like, um, the team has not been as good as it could be because of Kawhi's rest days or because they haven't played all that much together. And it does make sense. Oh yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. But it's kind of, um, I mean, I just feel like it's kind of shifting at least from what we've seen lately, it's kind of coming together a little more. So, um, yeah. And I mean, it, I still think like I already kind of said it earlier, but I still think the benefits of resting him, especially with the sports science that we don't even really know, um, their inside info or whatever they're doing exactly that tells them, um, what the benefits of this are really in terms of fatigue and how it affects potential injuries and all that. So, um, yeah, I think the benefits outweigh negatives is what I'm saying. Also, we just, we don't know if other members of this team aren't on board with this, right? So we, we never know what's going on with Kawhi, right? He's never the type of guy to come out and say, you know, this is how I feel about X, Y, Z. And that's prevalent over, you know, the, Many, many times he's been asked, where do you see yourself playing next year? How do you feel about Toronto? Like, it's very cliche. It's very uh, PR-friendly answers, and it's never one that reveals his hand or reveals how he truly feels. And I'm fine with that. It's great. I'd rather him do that than pull a Kyrie Irving. Um, yeah. But it, it's, it's, we're assuming that Kawhi is maybe in conflict with this. We're assuming that it's the medical staff and or Nick Nurse that is saying to Kawhi, I don't care how you feel about this, you're going to sit. Now, I know when Nick Nurse was on Danny Green's podcast, he did sort of allude to Kawhi wanting to play, but I think saying, hey, I want to play is different than being frustrated that they're not allowing him to play. Like, I think every player wants to play, quote-unquote, but I think Kawhi is of the mindset that I see the value in not playing. And maybe other players around him, like maybe a Kyle Lowry, maybe a uh, Danny Green, Serge Ibaka, whoever you want to pick, understand that, hey, this is for the benefit of the team moving forward. This is just the regular season. Maybe as experienced as they are, members of the Raptors that were on last year's team, like Fred, like Kyle, like Serge, like Norm, understand that, hey, we were chasing for a seed last year. We were chasing regular season supremacy last year. Guess what? Didn't do us any favors. So this whole resting narrative, we're frustrated with it as fans. And I say we, not necessarily you and I, but we as the conglomerate of Raptors fans, frustrates the fan base. But that doesn't necessarily mean objectively that this frustrates the players on the floor and they don't see a value towards this. I totally agree. It's a great point. And I mean, we can't really know how they feel about it, but all, I mean, they're obviously not going to say it publicly if they are frustrated with it, but like just from the indications they've given from whatever they have said, like they, they've seemed to understand it. They haven't said anything that could be interpreted negatively. And uh, I mean, yeah, as you said, like they've seen what doing great in the regular season gets you um, if you're not really ready for the playoffs. And I mean, I'm sure they feel pretty, uh, pretty confident in their team when it's healthy. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Well, we talked about the regular season and not really meaning anything to this team moving forward. So let's talk about the playoffs. Let's talk about seeding. Uh, what is your ideal playoff uh, scenario in terms of seeding? Because we've, as we mentioned, the priority last year was Eastern Conference supremacy because I think there's this uh, inferiority complex that exists amongst Raptors fan base to say like, all right, we proved it. We're first place. You know, maybe we'll get that Christmas Day game and it never happened. All right, so... I think the the odds of us attaining the first seed are very, very, very low. And the the odds of maintaining the second seed are very high because you're right. The Bucks have to lose quite a few. I think it's like five games that they have to lose and the Raptors have to win five yeah. and then some to yeah. gain. Is, is it five? Mm, I don't think it's quite that much. But so it's a right now it's a two and a half game differential. So. Like There's the three Bucks up in a loss. Yeah, so the Bucks would basically have to lose four, and the Raptors would have to like gain. I mean, not win four, but they'd have to win at least like however many to match that because they need to be a game ahead of them, right? Because they don't even have the tiebreaker. Yeah, so the Raptors have a lot of work to do if yeah. they want to get the first. But the 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 good news is the chances of the Pacers or the Sixers taking the two seed, it's pretty low, right? Yeah. They're between the Raptors and the Pacers in terms of games behind is a solid five. And as we mentioned, it's pretty downhill for the Raptors moving forward. So it, it's safe to say they're going to be stuck in that second seed. No problems there. No problems because with the way it's, you know, scheduled right now, if the playoffs started today, the Raptors have an easy path to the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So they would play, if we're looking at it, they would play uh, the Pistons round one, and then they would either play, uh, what is it, the Nets, maybe, round two? Nets or Pacers? The Nets or the Pacers, round two. Yeah. I'll take that all day and let the Celtics <laughs> and Sixers battle it out, and the, one of those teams battle it out with the Bucks. Tire them out. Maybe all both of those series go seven. <laughs> Fuck it. Let it go all yeah. the way. So where, where are you? Are you... One of the, the, the fans that are chasing that number one seed, like, no, we need it. We need that supremacy. Or you're like, no, let's let's keep it as it is because this is really benefiting the Raptors right now. I mean, I'd love, like, home court against the Bucks would be, I think it would mean something. Like, it would probably help in a conference final. But at the same time, you're looking a little bit too far ahead. Like, there's no guarantee between these four teams that you could really, uh, or five teams really, mm -hmm. Uh, the Indiana's played that you could just march your way to the conference finals. I would agree with you that um, that's probably the easiest path. If you can get Indiana, obviously with Oladipo out, um, they're just not quite as dynamic. They don't have the upside of the other teams at the same time. I mean, they're only one win ahead of Philadelphia and, and they have kind of, and tied in the last column and they have kind of a tough schedule. So I'd expect Philly to overtake them. But then kind of the flip side of that is that um, I don't really think the Raptors are that scared of Philly. They've gotten Philly's kind of gotten a lot of um, a lot of hype and a lot of anticipation here with this starting five, just because of how dominant that starting five can be since they acquired Tobias Harris. And I mean, that's a tough team, but I think just the way Kawhi Leonard has obliterated Ben Simmons and yeah. made him completely useless and the way Marcus Gasol matches up with Joel Embiid, I think the Raptors 
would feel pretty confident in that matchup. So either way, I think a Pacers or a Sixers matchup is a little easier than a potential second round matchup with Boston, who I think um, just gives the Raptors problems, at least in Boston, where the Raptors have not won in three, three seasons, I think. So I, yeah, I would just feel, I agree with you. Like the two, three matchup either way, I think is pretty uh, favorable for the Raptors. Are you uh, one of the Raptors fans that are, Still sort of believing in the Celtics and you want to avoid them at all costs in the playoffs? Because, bro, I'm in the I'm in the region. All right? I'm inundated with all these green teamers right here. I am not scared at all. Um, I wouldn't say I'm scared. Like, I just think I, I don't know. I just think the Celtics have it in them. I think there's something about them that they're just they always kind of find a way to recover. Maybe Kyrie Irving is kind of done with them he's frustrated with the young guys but like we saw them last season i don't know i think they have they're better coached than the sixers or even the bucks i'd say even though i think stevens is a little really he's a little overrated but he's still he's still a pretty damn good coach and i think if they play the sixers the celtics are going to win that series the celtics own the sixers they beat them like every time, <laughs> like even without Kyrie, they won that last matchup. Like yeah. they, they just own Embiid. It's Horford. Horford is just a complete nightmare for Philadelphia. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like Boston, there is no reason to believe in them. I did pick them to be number one going into the season. Obviously, they're... shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they're not that team, but I still think just the the physicality they have with Marcus Morris, Marcus Smart, kind of this grittiness, this toughness that kind of, um, I mean, you can't really say Philly and Milwaukee don't have that, but Boston just kind of has this like gear that they get into and their crowd is tough. They've got one of the best home courts in the league. I mean, even now they're still 24 and nine at home, like a pretty good record. And and I mean, there's just that factor where Kyrie Irving can get into a zone and in the fourth quarter, he gives teams problems. And I mean, the Raptors don't have any answer for him, whereas at least I think they can um, they can at least match up with Giannis in theory, put Kawhi on him in theory, or Siakam. And you've got guys to kind of guard the Sixers guys, whereas Boston Kyrie Irving is just a problem. Kawhi Leonard can't guard him. No one on the roster really has any answer for him sounds like you're saying that the the Celtics may be playing a little <laughs> bit of possum right now um not boy, not intentionally like, you know but oh uh, like kind of they kick it up in the playoffs and regular season might, yeah, you know like we're I saying mean, about like, the Raptors it doesn't matter yeah, to us maybe it doesn't I matter mean, to them for sure I mean like this this is kind of speculation just based on like how we expected them or at least I expected them to be and a lot of people did and it may prove to be complete like bullshit <laughs> like right. the, the, by all indications they're the fifth best team in the east not the third or second but I just think like I think they have it somewhere in them they probably I mean just by the way they've played they're probably not going to reach that level but I do think if they end up in that four or five matchup that they'll win their first round at least. And like, and they'll give someone problems. So 
I mean, it probably won't be the Raptors, and I would expect the Bucks to come out of that series with the Celtics if if that's how it goes down. But um, yeah, I mean, I do think the Celtics have like something in them where they'll just they're not going to go down and get swept or lose in five. Like it's not going to be easy for anyone. No, I don't think it's as egregious as it seems. Like how many games were they consecutive losses uh, at until last night? Um, right? I think it was like they lost four in a row, but they lost like six in a row with Kyrie Irving yeah. in the lineup, which is kind of um Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> but like I don't know. I, I yeah. do I do don't wanna rather I don't wanna fall into the trap of hating on the Celtics and then them kicking it into gear yeah. in the playoffs. The problem is is that, you know, you mentioned the intangibles like the home crowd and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The chemistry on that team, you know, it we're in March. Yeah, it's March second today. <laughs> These things should be resolved. There shouldn't be any sort of tension on your bench between players. March second. I think if they were the Raptors, like if you give the Raptors Kyrie Irving on a contract year and like everything else, all the same, I would be out on them already. Like I would have given them. Oh, yeah. season. <laughs> I think just like looking at it from an outside perspective and like and like not. Um, having any rooting interest in them, it's kind of easier to believe in them. Like you can kind of look at just like everyone looks at their net rating is still third in the league, like all that stuff. But obviously, yeah, I can't like deny that they have chemistry problems and they've obviously not been who people expected them to be. I mean, I'm very happy about that because, yeah. like I said, I get it from all oh, angles. Sure. You know, I, I'm happy to be wrong about my prediction. On that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, the only team, and everyone says it, that I struggle with saying the Raptors are better are the Bucks, right? I do think the Raptors mm-hmm. are better than every other team in the Eastern Conference except the Bucks. Oh yeah, I think the Bucks. You know, they're they they are well coached. Um, they do have a lot of shooters on that team. Um, I do think the addition of Paul Gasol does not really do much. I, I get the benefit of having the locker room presence and the playoff experience and the championship experience. I'm, I'm not discounting that. But in terms of on-the-floor impact, I just don't see it. And I think yesterday when you know the buyout was reported, Obviously, Bucks fans are going to be excited about it, but I think the excitement was a bit overinflated because I just don't see him being the sort of playoff impact that people are uh, thinking that he will, and he'll sort of reach back to his you know old school days of being this force. I just don't see that anymore. Was there a lot of like excitement from Bucks fans? Like I didn't really see it on Twitter or whatever. Like. What were people saying? They were just like, we, we had this playoff experience. We had this championship experience. Uh, this is going to be valuable. And I, I don't discount that. But like I said, it that doesn't win you games necessarily. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, he's just not good anymore. <laughs> like, right. he's, like, if you watch him, like, I mean, even the Spurs fans will tell you, like, I was talking to some of them, just like, he is so completely slow. Like, he just can't keep up at all anymore and he's a liability he's not, yeah and he's not that good a shooter so you're kind of losing what you get when lopez is in the game like if i were a bucks fan i would hope that he's not in the rotation mm. i mean i don't expect him to be but like i'd be much much more scared of meritage playing the five with Giannis and kind of playing those small lineups where they can just stretch you out the same way as lopez but they're a little bit quicker and um 
or even DJ Wilson hurt the Raptors earlier this year because yeah. he can also shoot the three. Like I'd be way more worried about those guys than um than Gasol if I were I mean as a Raptors fan or if I were any team playing the Bucks in the playoffs. It's interesting. We're talking about intangibles, we're talking about home court advantage and that is the one like if we could attain that number one seed, doesn't like I said, it's not likely. Um, that'd be great because of the home court, eventual home court advantage over the Bucks, mm-hmm. because that crowd is loud. They're intimidating. Like it, they pull it off so well. I give credit to how oh, the Bucks yeah. operated because when they introduce the Raptors, they play the Barney theme, and it's like that <laughs> immediately pisses us off. Like on Twitter, yeah. it's Twitter fingers know. fired, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't. I didn't remember. Um... I don't think they did it last time, but like a few years back, like they used to have like all the horns and stuff like they do in Europe. Like mm-hmm. like the fans are like blowing horns and all this stuff. And it's like distracting to players because it sounds like the game horn. Like they're just, they're wild. Like they, they've been good basically since they got Giannis, like their crowd. I mean, even when they were bad, like their crowds pretty, um, pretty much into it. And yeah, like that's a tough place to play. That last Raptors win against them without Lowry was extremely impressive, but obviously we've seen the other matchups, how they've struggled this year. Do you see any other team in the Eastern Conference having the ability to upset them in the playoffs based on matchups? So obviously I don't think, what is it right now, the eighth seed? Is it Orlando or is it it's Charlotte? Um, so right I don't see Charlotte. Yeah. yeah, I don't no, see Charlotte okay. upsetting them, but do you... If it froze today, do you see maybe Philly or Boston be having the ability to take them out in round two? I think I think they'd have like a puncher's chance, like a small outside shot. Like, I mean, uh, I'm not going to give like odds on it, but like, I think they'd have like a chance. Like, I wouldn't completely count them out, but I'd definitely take Milwaukee in a series. I wouldn't predict an upset because, I mean people have almost discounted them because they're kind of a young team. I mean, and I mean, this is at least the perception of it, that they're this young team, they're led by Giannis, but like we've seen that kind of team go to the finals before and the Cavs, like, I mean, this is going way back, but like when LeBron was 22 and carried the Cavs to the finals. And this is a much better supporting cast than that. They are veterans, mostly Bledsoe, Middleton, Lopez. Like these are good veteran players borderline all-stars and you're basically putting so much shooting around Giannis and they have the defense and they have versatility if they need to go a little bigger or a little smaller. So you're basically getting like a championship caliber team. If the warriors weren't the warriors. Right. So, I mean, this team should not be looked at as like a team that can be easily upset. I'd give it, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I'd give the bucks a very good chance of making the conference finals. It's just it's just my way of trying to find avenues to avoid them. That's all. <laughs> I was I was looking for some Yeah, I was looking for some reassurance and uh you just didn't give it to me, man. <laughs> it's fair though. You're being objective about it. I understand. It's yeah. cool. I mean, we don't have to talk about it now, but I mean, the conference finals themselves, obviously this is looking too far ahead, but like the Raptors I'd give like at least a legitimate shot at beating them even if they're not favored versus like the Sixers and Celtics. I mean, as much as I <laughs> praise the Celtics, they haven't really shown it this season the same way. Do you think it's because 
purely the presence of Kawhi Leonard, or do you think it's the whole totality of the Raptors team? Um, I mean, a combination. Like, Kawhi Leonard is obviously the number one reason, but, like, I think they just have, yeah, they have a lot of weapons to throw at them, and, like, they've used mostly Siakam to guard Giannis, which, I mean, Giannis scored 44 in the last game, but it, it kind of felt like, I mean the last win that the Raptors had against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, he scored 44 and it kind of felt like they guarded him well, which was odd because he dominated, but they still like, they forced him to take a couple jump shots. They kind of, they didn't let him be a passer. They didn't let the shooters get going. And I think they kind of have that formula where if they're really locked in and if Lowry is better because Lowry has been bad against them this season, if Lowry plays well, I think like, I think the Raptors do have like kind of that complete team. They have Gasol to stretch them out because we know like the Bucks play the drop pick and roll coverage, all that. So they're they have some options to um to kind of like find those holes in the Bucks, like because the the Bucks don't have many flaws, but they do have like the potential to get there. Do you would you put it more on Kawhi or the team as a whole? I hope. That uh, Kawhi shows up defensively, and I have no doubt that he will. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just not confident in the shooting of this team quite yet. Yeah. Like I said, Kyle Lowry's showing signs of life, and that is crucial to a successful playoff run. Uh, Pascal Siakam is certainly opening up eyes when it comes to his three-point <laughs> shooting ability. Um, Danny Green, I feel, isn't getting enough opportunities to get sort of gain a rhythm there was that one game when i want to say he dropped 11 three-pointers in a row or something like that it was absurd how many yeah Yeah, it was absurd (laughs) and i think he maybe not to that high of a clip but danny green is one of these shooters that rely on rhythm and i think that the raptors need to do a better job of getting him the ball just to establish that rhythm just to establish his footing in the shooting game and, you know, they're giving Kyle Lowry these opportunities. They're giving Pascal these opportunities. This is what Danny Green is on this team for, right? We, we yeah. uh, well, not we. Masai acquired guys like Patrick Patterson to be that guy. Failed. Damari Carroll to be that guy. <laughs> failed. And now he has him sort of accidentally. I don't, I don't want to say that. I'm sure that yeah, he had a, a Yeah, a quote-unquote throw-in. Danny Green on this team, and they're not utilizing him correctly. You know, so I, I need him to shoot more. Yeah, I agree. He should get like more opportunities. It's kind of like they don't run him. I I mean, they don't. I, I'd have to look into it a little more, but I don't think they run him off a ton of off ball screens. It's more as like mm. the corner spacer, or the wing spacer kind of around plays. And I mean, he's been really good at it is like since that Memphis game, not including like the eight threes he hit in that game. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. So this is like, his it was last. eight. Okay. <laughs> Still not 11, okay. uh, but in his last 15 games, he's, I mean, he's only taken um, like four and a half threes a game, but he's 48%. Like he's been on fire. He just hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities. And I think that's almost like just the threat of him is obviously such a huge contributor to their spacing. And it's almost that he doesn't need the ball at the same time. I mean, these are super efficient shots. Like you want him to get those shots. So if you can look for him a little more and at least let him touch the ball and like, and get him those opportunities when they're available, then you should.
All right, let's move on to the too sweet moment of the week. I cannot imagine how it's even possible <laughs> that you and I don't have the same too sweet moment of the week. But if we don't, that'd be cool. We can talk about them both. Um, but in the event that we do, I'm just going to let you take the floor. What is your too sweet moment of the week? Um, can we just skip to runner-ups? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously it's the buzzer beater, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> you, can't, you can't really uh, dispute that one. <laughs> All right, what's your runner-up uh, then? Um, um, just about the buzzer beater first. Sure. I mean, we've, how many times have we seen that exact same play? The Raptors try to get a switch for Kawhi and just have him go on on one. I do want to say um, I like that they didn't go off a timeout yeah. because um, this Nick Nurse, we've kind of seen him like he doesn't drop a play anyway. His play is just get a switch for Kawhi and have him ISO. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a super efficient shot, but I get why they do it. It's kind of so that um, like it doesn't give an opportunity for a turnover. Um, it doesn't give an opera and it guarantees almost for sure that it's going to be right at the buzzer or like very close to it. Instead of like, if you run a team play, then it could be a deflected pass or you could go too early and then end up giving up a shot. At the same time we did see Kawhi turn it over earlier this year, but like yeah. putting that aside. Um, so I did like that he didn't go out of a timeout cause then Portland wasn't really ready um, they ended up switching, which they probably wouldn't have wanted to. And then you get Lillard on him and you get the game winner. Um, so runner ups, what do you got? Um, I want to say Lowry's, uh, floater a couple plays before in that same game. Okay. Um, <laughs> went high over Nurkic, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it reminded me of game seven versus Brooklyn. <laughs> 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 because uh, because Lowry drives right into the middle, same as he did up Pierce. He gets hammered, no call. <laughs> Except but this one goes it, in. Yeah, yeah, he put it way up high, and that was just that was really special. I mean, Lowry has not hit um, a ton of clutch shots this season, but that was beautiful. So it was good to see him being aggressive, and um, I was glad he could actually finish it, even if he didn't get the call. My runner-up was the Pascal Siakam dunk against Boston that literally uh, elevated that crowd and kept that, you know, um, that momentum moving. I think that was sort of like, I want to say it was in the second quarter. And Uh, when you had, was it in the second? I don't remember exactly, but yeah, like second or third. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it wasn't towards the end, but I wanted to, because the second quarter was just an amazing run for this team. Oh, yeah. And when I saw that, now, look, again, I'm in the region of, of New England. I get it from all angles, man. Right? <laughs> I have never felt more confident against the Celtics after one play than I was after that dunk. Because it, it sort of made me reassured that game's fine. It's in the bag. I know it's early. I know it's maybe the second or third quarter. Game's fine. It's in the bag. It's over. It's done. So that, for me, was a special moment. Um, Regarding your call about the timeout with Nick Nurse and how you value that he didn't, I agree with you. My question to you is, if it wasn't tied and the Blazers had the lead, do you think that changes? Um, That's a good question, actually. I'm not 100%. Yeah, I think think it probably does. I think you probably want the timeout. Because if you're down at that point, you don't want to go for the game winner. Exactly. You want to get a shot earlier because 
either you have a rebound chance or even if you miss you foul you're still even if they make both free throws you're still only down three and then Mm -hmm. you have another chance to tie so yeah you probably do go with the timeout if um if you're down one but obviously like in this case um we already talked about why he didn't go for it right yeah, for all the times we we get upset about Nick Nurse not calling a timeout, <laughs> the one time he doesn't, it was the right call. So I just want I do want to acknowledge that you are right. I want to give him credit on that, but something tells me if it was a a four point play or something, uh, the narrative would have flipped, and for good reason too. Or you know maybe he wouldn't have called a timeout and they would have went for the game winner. It depends on how much confidence he has in Kawhi, but yeah. Uh, you couldn't have asked for a better recipe than it went at last night. The last night's win was just special. The was, yeah, yeah, it's something about them wearing those city jerseys that just <laughs> elevates them, right? You remember the last time? Was it the last time they wore them against Cleveland? And was OG it? just went off when he started. Cleveland, I, hmm, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OG had a big game. Um, I think did they wear them against Phoenix when Siakam hit the game winner? Oh, that's a good call. I don't know. I don't Let me look that up real quick. Yeah, maybe uh, they did. Or was it like their candy oh, cane jerseys? Were the, they were the red ones. Yeah, like the Yeah. The, the, the same thing in red, basically. Yeah, yeah. The candy canes. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah um other plays of the week. Like I think Siakam just all of his corner threes like are great to see. He's shooting great. Like just he's yeah. he's been like forty three percent from three the last month and like on the season 37 percent like that's that's like a really not just above average but like a really good shooter at that point so defenses are going to respect him we kind of touched on all that i agree i think uh another presence that doesn't get enough credit is uh jeremy lynn's defense i know he's regarded more as an offensive player but let's not forget dude he had his way with Kyrie. Like I know we mentioned that yeah. there aren't really many answers for Kyrie Irving, and maybe Kyrie did have an <laughs> off game, but Jeremy Lin did a yeah. very good job shutting him down offensively. Oh yeah, he deserves credit. Nick Nurse was saying that, and I mean, Lin said on that on that uh, Green podcast we mentioned, he said he wanted to improve on his defense the last couple of years, and he did a great job. All right, let's move into predictions, and then we'll wrap it up. They, uh, they got three games heading into this week. Uh, one at Detroit. And that's, like we mentioned, a de facto home game. One at home against Houston, national TV game on TNT. And then one on the road against New Orleans. So what say ye? At Detroit, home against Houston, at New Orleans. Go for it. I want to give it a sweep. (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's confidence. Um, (laughs) Even if Kawhi rests tomorrow. Yeah, I think so. I think the team's just feeling good right now. Um... But I think the I think they might be a little bugged that they lost that last Detroit game. It was like it was a really bad loss, honestly. Like it was near the beginning of the season, but still, like players remember the last time they played them, especially against Dwayne Casey. And uh and yeah, it might just like like it would bug me if I was playing <laughs> just uh blowing a ten point lead and losing at the buzzer at home. And then uh yeah, and I mean they'll have the crowd there, and Detroit's Detroit's playing better lately. They've won, I think, eight of uh, eight of their last ten, but or seven of their last ten. But they're still a mediocre team, and you kind of have to go and take that game with or without Kawhi. The Houston game, if if they're going to lose one of these, I would say the Houston game is most likely. 
Yeah, I have that penciled in as a loss, only because like Harden just been on fire, man. He dropped like fifty eight the other night. Yeah, and, Jeez, and Paul man. is kind of running into form. He's kind of been a little bit better lately. Um, yeah, I mean they held him to thirty five, held him in quotes, but yeah, the last time they played them, that was a really ugly loss. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think they should. Uh, like it will be tough. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see them lose, but. I think they'll get up for it. They've been good on national TV, despite whatever narratives people want to right. people want to create about like, oh, the Raptors don't play big games. Like they've won quite a few national TV now. Between even just recently, Philly, Boston, um, San Antonio, and now Portland. So I think they'll get up for that one. And um, and yeah, hopefully they game plan a little better for the shooters who really destroyed them last time they faced Houston. I, uh, all right. Well, I hope you're right because I, I have that one penciled in as a loss. The other two as wins. So maybe they'll win these next two and uh, drop that one to New Orleans. <laughs> Schedule maintenance game for everyone. Yeah, maybe <laughs> just, just don't have them travel at all. And yeah, well, it's playoffs coming up. We're fine. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you know, the deal, this is the end of the show. You can promote anything and everything you got going on where people can find you on twitter uh, where people can find your work leave no stone unturned man the floor is yours go for it all right so you can find my twitter handle at leor underscore kz that's leor l-i-o-r underscore k-z or z for us canadians <laughs> and um and my work is at death pen hoops we have um i have a lynn Jeremy Lin, um, little, little column coming out about, um, kind of the impact he's made and his fit off the court as well, just in terms of, um, fitting in with the Raptors. And also I wrote something on DeMar DeRozan's return on Medium a couple of weeks ago, just kind of like a personal essay about, um, DeMar's impact off the court on Toronto, which, um, which I was really happy to write. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, man, and I think I speak for everyone that if you aren't following Lior on Twitter, I think uh, you are a must-follow when it comes to Raptors content. So if you're not following Lior, you're doing it wrong. So uh, follow him. He's You are very interactive during games, and I appreciate that. And you, uh, you recognize the intricacies of the game that I certainly don't, and I value your input on Twitter. So that's not hyperbole, man. That's legit. So uh, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. Appreciate you, man. Thanks. All right, man. Hope you do the same. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.